welcome to the Autodidactic Human, a place where the learning never stops. Here, where you can gain vital knowledge of perspectives and events, even outside of a classroom. Here, we can shape, grow, and reflect. So lately, I've been taking a bit of a deep dive in the understanding of abusive relationships. Uh, As a matter of fact, I have a whole unpublished episode about that simply because I was trying to explore it and, uh, well, whenever I was looking at it on my own, I find that there was still a lot of exploration that I needed to do since the time that I made that particular episode, uh, henceforth why I did not publish it at the time. Um, But now, the reason why I want to rehash this is because I understand that we are actually in a relationship, everything is a relationship, okay? Everything is a relationship from your work, to your family, to your friends, to our institutions. And so we have a relationship with our government. And currently, our relationship with our government is incredibly toxic and incredibly abusive. And we have to find our way out of it. And first, the way to find yourself out of an abusive relationship is to understand the methods of the abuse. Like, we have to recognize what's going on and that it is something that is not our fault. It is not something that we are directly causing. This is a cause of behavior. This is a line of behavior that we have to recognize. And so it's like, yeah, you know, we have always known that the government has been up to something. But what, 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 am, I, am I going too far by saying that it's a being of toxic and abusive? No, I am certainly am not. There's a lot of evidence to point that, uh, to point at that. And the three biggest ways that we lack control in our government, which is the biggest point about an abusive relationship, is that you, they, it's, re, it's about relinquishing control. Um, so one of the biggest things that we lack, we don't have any control over our health, our habits, and our stability. Uh, We lack control over our body, and that's the ways that we lack control over our body, is with our health, our habits, and our stability. Um, As far as our health is concerned, um, actually, there's a a really big reference that I want to make there, because a lot of our health has to do with a lot of bad foods, uh, for bad habits, literal poisons that are being put in our side of our food, things that are known known to lead to food addictions, and as well as financial barriers for all of the healthy food that we have. Um, however, there's a really great solution behind all of this, and this is where I want to make a reference. Um, my partner, uh, Luminous Raw, has a family, fa- fantastic channel um, that talks about all of the ways that you can take your health back, all the ways that you can take your body back, and a way that you can do so without having to become a slave to the pharmaceutical system, uh, because that is by far what we do here. We get you sick. We get you on pills so we can make money off of you. And this is one of the primary ways you can take control of yourself back is by getting healthy and by eating well and by learning all the different ways that we can not only heal our trauma through these habits, but like start to actually heal our body from things that a lot of doctors say that they can't come back from. Um, So definitely check her out. I'll leave a link over on the bottom of my page to her channel. There's a bunch of other things that I would love to share uh, from her. She's got a lot of great information. And I'm telling you that this is by far one of the greatest ways to start taking your health back. Um, In addition to that, this also ties into some of the habits that you may have. Um, But in the habits that we've got, um, we've talked about addiction to sedation 
destination addiction, overwork, over-exercising, tunnel vision, and then we have the school-to-work-to-home cycle. Uh, the school-to-work-to-home-to-work cycle, actually. That's really what I want to call that. Um, and then on top of that, our stability, our disconnection, loneliness, and ability to dream beyond. We definitely have a lot of these things being taken from us. But, like, this is uh, this is kind of the overall arcing uh, idea of what we're going through. But what about taking back control of ourselves? Like, where do we begin aside from those three things, aside from our health, our habit, our stabilities? Well, um, there's an ongoing series that I'm actually trying to... Uh, I didn't realize it was going to be. Uh, but now that I keep diving back into the subject, it keeps coming up again. So now I'm just going to continue with some of the things that I started uh, talking about in the beginning. And if you've been with me for a while, then you know that I actually have a, a couple of episodes where I talk about the uh, state of men. <laughs> um, I like to talk about masculinity. Um, right now, it's been about mas dismantling masculinity in its most toxic form. And why is that a really big subject all of a sudden when I'm switching gears from like talking about the government and taking control over our bodies? And then all of a sudden, now I'm talking about the state of toxic masculinity. What does that all have to do with each other? Well, here's here's a simple phrase for you. Actually, I love this phrase. It's a, it's a phrase that you can find buried in sociology. But it, it simply says that men don't have control over their bodies. And whenever they get control over their bodies, actually, it's well, what starts off with women don't have control over their bodies, obviously, because of men. Uh, when women gain control over their bodies, then men would want control over their bodies, too. And then once men and women have control over their bodies, then we don't need the government anymore. Now, everybody that I've told that phrase to, it, it doesn't seem to click. That phrase doesn't make sense. It was like, what is what do you mean? That once we have that, first of all, what do you mean that men don't have control over their bodies when they, all they do is control everybody else's body all the time? How do they not have control over their bodies? That doesn't even make sense. So we, we and we understand how women don't have control over their bodies because it's everywhere in our current society. But it doesn't make sense to say that men don't have control over their bodies because of the way everything is set up. Well, that's where I really want to start to break this down. It's because of this phrase. Because we got to get to the whole point where, like, how do men don't, how do we understand that men don't have control over their bodies? And where does this lead to not needing the government? Um, there's actually a direct line to it. Um, so, where, where do we begin? How do men lack control over their bodies? Well, I actually, in explaining a method of control before we dive into it, the concept of control is something I've gone into in a very early episode of mine. But to summarize that episode very quickly, um, that control is an illusion that you give yourself through other means. Uh, in, in order to have the kind of control that you think that you have, you actually have to relinquish a lot of control in practically every other aspect. Uh, the concept comes from standing in a river or bracing yourself up against a stream if you ever notice that you have you tense up all of your muscles whenever you do that, if you try to tense up all your muscles and brace yourself up as hard as you can up against the stream, you will tire out two times as quickly as anything as any other kind of object uh, or any other kind of person. But what allows you to stay in place actually is by loosening your muscles, 
giving away to the current and finding out that you can actually just like move in between the streams without having to push back all of this force. Um, so what this is designed to teach us through, there are a lot of philosophical proverbs and principles about this, but what this is designed to teach us is that we only gain control by relinquishing control of our situations. If you want to have, you can't control anything else that's going on in the planet but yourself. And even then, the way that works is by understanding that you are a phenomenon, that you are a part of this whole thing, and that you just have to let a lot of these things flow through you in order to actually, and before you could actually just say that I can have this happen on demand whenever I want to. That is not control because nothing like that works here. No, no element, no, there is actually no element of nature that gets to demand and control everything around it. There are just elements that are more detrimental to the way that our entire universe works, but they're not making demands. Gravity is the weakest known force in the universe, and it is yet one of the only known forces uh, to keep everything together. And it doesn't make demands aside from the only thing it does. <laughs> so... We, we like there's no but this is uh, on top of what I think it's electromagnetic force is the strongest emitting force in the universe. And yet this doesn't even supersede gravity in its intensity. But either way, it's just it's just to say that there are checks and balances naturally put in the universe and no one aspect has control over all of it. You know, and even if you were to say that even if you're a believer of Christianity and say that a, the Christian God is in fact control over all things look at the minute details as to how the system works as to how the universe works no one thing still has control over another it is all built with these natural balances in tow that's a pretty genius design as opposed to constantly being in charge of everything working all at once truthfully if you are a creator and you are somebody of the most intelligent design possible the one thing you're not going to do is create something that constantly needs your attention at every given second. I think that's just from if we were made in that image, you know, based on the Christian God thing, then I, I, I truly feel like God wouldn't make something that he had to stare at <laughs> all the time. Um, but that's the concept of control. Control is actually about relinquishing control. So that's where it's the, the illusionary portion. You actually gain control over more things in your life by relinquishing this idea that you can get what you want at every any second what you know if you just try hard enough or something like I don't I don't really know exactly what that means it's not to say that you can't manifest stuff um, it is to say that you have no I can't control the emotions of another human being no matter how hard I try all I can do is is weigh out my own my own emotions in reaction to what is happening sometimes um, but yeah so let's get into that. Um, so how else are we, since we, what are we talking about when it comes to lacking control? Well, the first one I want to talk about is physically. Men physically have, can physically do not have control over their bodies. What? What do you mean? What am I saying? Well, I'm actually talking about like things like intimacy and like cuddling uh, or in fashion um, even uh, because there are things like male clothing and like mas masculine fashion that is literally designed to just denote power and authority. And if we're not wearing anything along these lines, then we are seen as less. The seen as less part I want to understand throughout the entirety of this is always been um, the potential 
uh, I guess, like, danger sense that uh, toxic masculinity always carries. It is so afraid of being seen as less than a man, as less than the most utmost of masculine, that it is threatened by literally every aspect around it. And this is not cool. Like, this does not seem like the thing to be. Um, but let's recognize what some of these things are further. But one of those is in the statement of physicality, in the fact that we can't, uh, men can't seem to be intimate or show intimacy without risking that becoming some kind of sexual attraction, which as to which that is not a thing that is commonly shared amongst a lot of women. Women are very communal, like generally will go, will accompany each other to the restroom, will accompany each other to the shower and things of the sort without any sexual attraction being involved whatsoever, but mostly about the camaraderie there. But a lot of men have a lot of hangups around that that if they were to show any level of intimacy, any level of like physical contact with another man that denotes intimacy, that they run the risk of being labeled as, you know, you are find this other man physically attractive. And you know what? There's nothing wrong in finding another man physically attractive and letting them know that. Because you that does not mean that you have to pursue a relationship with that person. That's what makes that weird, you know? You can't be a man and look at another man and be like, you know what? You look amazing. And that somehow doesn't like translate to like, this person's really into me. See, that's that's the problem. That's where it becomes like, scoop, you know, let's 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 skirt for a little bit and be like, yo, um, yeah, I was just just letting you know how you looked. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really uh trying to like get with that, but just I'm just letting you know. And see, this is which is one of those main problems that we have with toxic masculinity when it comes to that. That a woman cannot make a compliment to a man without a man assuming that that is someone pursuing sex. What? See, this is why it's problematic because it's not always about that. You don't have control over yourself if that's what you think every single approach to you is. Come on now. Um, but anyways, we're looking at... And this this bleeds into the other part, emotionally. So, emotionally, all that toxic masculinity loves to teach people that, that it's all about power and authority. That emotionally... That you're emotionally stunted, basically, until lust is involved. Um, that you can't really perceive intimacy. And that you you really don't want to be soft at all I and mean, you definitely want to have a lot more edges and you can't really resort to, resort to help whatsoever you know and you have to sit there and be lonely and fight it fight it out and toughen it up and you never get a chance to even just show somebody that hey it's kind of hard hey i'm actually not having a good time and yeah this is a this is something that comes from uh, a lot of different angles because a lot of men will of course tell you that you, know, you gotta rub some dirt on it you gotta go walk it off drink some water go be tough about it and don't cry um but this is actually something that gets that's really driven home by the sense of the mom like the way your mom kind of treats you in the in the in the terms of your manly of your manhood i think that is really the thing that affects men the most is because if your mom is the kind of person that tells you that you're not being a man for what and based on these talks the same toxic principles that we're talking about this is really problematic because the one thing you don't want to ingrain is is this sense 
of being demasculated like demasculated I don't I'm, I'm actually losing the word but either way um you don't want to experience this sense of being told that you're lesser from someone that you're supposed to be gaining all of this approval from um so <laughs> this is probably one of the worst things is that in the beginning what hits us I think what ingrains the toxic side of it is sometimes a little bit harder than men than hanging out with men that are entrenched in it is when you're hanging out with women that are entrenched in it because toxic masculinity bleeds on to the way women treat men in society it's definitely like a byproduct of it at least whenever women are telling men that they're not being manly enough because they're not representing these traits of toxic masculinity this is really problematic this is some of the earliest ways that this hits us because i've known plenty of toxic moms that have told that their their boys that they can't like barbie dolls or can't like the color pink or can't be into certain things because it makes them less of a boy and or they can't even have long hair or can't be or can't accept the compliment that they're pretty from other people because this will demasculate masculize them is that is that really the word demasculate the reason why i'm having a hang up with this and not actually like looking up to see what this word is is because i find it to be a little weird um because like things can't really make you less masculine when when you are when you are but we'll get into that later. But anyways, um, like this has always, to me, been one of the earliest and most hard-hitting effects um, in upbringing toxic men, is that it starts from the women around them that are telling them that they are not man enough and that the only other thing that is attractive or that is man enough are the worst aspects of men around <laughs> And like this, this, this definitely doesn't help. I'm not saying that it's it's like applied to this or this is the root cause of it all. No, the cause of it is in fact the concept of this masculinity bleeding out to every aspect, and this is something a byproduct that drives it home and almost consistently raises a lot of other toxic men. Um, which I I think is wild. Um, emotionally, whenever it's like. I've known so many men to go through so many hardships and it is hard for them to just come out of themselves and let someone show and let someone see that they're vulnerable. Oh man, like this is huge. This is a huge thing. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that later because I kind of want to keep moving with some of these aspects. Um, but yeah, so since we're talking about the emotional aspect, I mean, this also moves into spirituality. There are a lot of, oh man, we have to understand that all roles are acceptable from a spiritual sense. Um, that there is nothing, like I said earlier, that there is nothing that can diminish a masculine spirit when it is engaging in softer things. When men can be supportive and they can encourage people and they can hold and they can cuddle and lift each other up. Not just doing it for the women and the children in your life, but doing it for other men. When we actually serve as caretakers, we actually lift each other up spiritually. We lift ourselves up spiritually in that rate. And that allows us to see that all roles are acceptable, that, that, that we can find our space, our peace in, any, in anything. We don't have to dress a certain way. We don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to act a certain way. We can be soft as well as strong. As a matter of fact, a lot of our strength can be found in a softness of our ability. I've mentioned this before in other episodes. Um, it's just, it, to me, this is really, really important 
when you start to like go in from the inside out and you start to work your way through your spirituality, through your emotions, through your softness. This is what makes a man. This is what begins the healing process of throughout all men, honestly. And um, I am massively encouraged men to seek out uh, the understanding of a relationship with their father, uh, whether or not it was a distant one or a close one. Uh, really, you can't go wrong when you're trying to heal. <laughs> There's so many benefits from healing, even though, unfortunately, it does bring forth a lot of pain. And sometimes your parents don't come with you. Um, it sucks when you have a really rough relationship with your father, especially as a boy. It is something that you don't realize affects you until little, uh, really later on. Um, one of the bigger things, I don't necessarily know if there's enough research that supports this, but I will tell you emotionally from my own experience, I only had the one dad slot. That was it. Like, once my dad wasn't in the picture in my childhood, I did not have room for another man to come into that slot. I was good. I had a dad. He was great. I didn't want anybody else trying to pick up the mantle. I didn't need anyone else picking up the mantle. As a matter of fact, I resented the one person who tried to. Um, it surprisingly was not my stepdad. But uh, there was somebody else. He tried to make that statement about, like, well, I'll be your dad. And it's like, yeah, man, no, I'm good. I have a dad. He's great. I'm not trying to look for another one. You can try to act like you be my dad all day, but no, I'm cool. Like, I really didn't want that. Father figures, I was, it's, I th I'm pretty sure to say that in a boy's world, father figures are like, that's the one slot. Like, there are other people that can come through that can act like your dad. Um, and probably can be closer to a father figure than even your real one. But as far as having a father is concerned, there's really only the one slot. And I feel like that's kind of universal. Um, I mean, you can, I would love to discuss that if anybody else has had any feelings about having like multiple fathers. And I mean that not just in the sense of having like two dads, but meaning that in the sense of like, if your dad's, if you were estranged from your father at any given point, were there any people, were there multiple people that were able to fill that slot after you were estranged from your father? That's the one I want to hear. Cause generally speaking, I feel like the answer is like, no, nah, not really. Once the dad was gone, kind of didn't really seek out a whole lot of other people to sit in the, uh, the dad slot. So that's just kind of, that's mostly a theory. I would love to discuss that, but that's just from my personal standpoint. I didn't really need another dad after mine was gone. Um, but anyways, moving on, I think some of the other problematic things that come from uh, where this all started. If we're talking about the roots of where a lot of toxic masculine things may have started. Well, unfortunately, in Western civilization and Western culture, a lot of our stuff comes from Europe. And Europe is very... Oof, oof. We had, we had some real big problems back in the day with how we viewed things. Uh, and definitely didn't help to have a lot of this stuff go through. So, like, one of the biggest things I like to say is that um, the scientific community early on, especially the anthropology community in Europe, used to love to uh, talk about the hunter-gatherer society. Um, the, so, the sole proteans and leaders stemming from hunter-gathering societies. And, you know, we, we spread that that myth for, like, a couple hundred years, which was a little whack, uh, because now we have evidence that shows and suggests that these notions were fairly false. 
um like that it wasn't like men were the only hunters where men were only hunters and women were only gatherers um and that uh these societies came from um that these really these stories and these aspects of society came from really biased and very uh different views I, I, how to put this like Europeans had, when they were describing other civilizations, they had their own tastes and sensibilities. And any time that they saw a civilization or society that was outside of their own, um, they saw them a lot more like lawless and uh, while only relying on their primitive strength. Um, and that's the way that the, and that the death of hunter-gatherer society basically came out I'm hold on I'm having to check my notes here um that the sole strength of men fighting other men and that the gathering the hunting gathering age without the sole strength and fighting of other men that the hunter and gathering age would have come to a complete halt or an implosion that's interesting. Um, so yeah, that's basically what they said that happened was that the you know that a lot of fighting kind of caused that. Ow. Mm. Anyways, so here's the falsehood I know that exists with that is that it wasn't. It just simply didn't land on the fact that all men were hunters and all women were gatherers, and we've used this myth for years to try to um, exonerate the role of men in the society. And by saying that, in fact, without them, everything would have just collapsed. If men weren't serving in these roles, then there was no way that these societies could have ever managed themselves at all. Um, that's that's why I think it's wild to think about that. That myth definitely doesn't pan out because, yeah, a lot of women do naturally serve in the role as caretakers. It's built in. A lot of men do serve in the role of gatherers. It's fairly built in. But to say that this is purely the rationale and the reasoning behind why we do what we do even to this day really has ignored a lot of different aspects around the world. Um, because, okay, for example, leadership. Leadership is a really big thing. A lot of... <laughs> <coughs> oh my, I'm choking a little bit. Yeah, a lot of men like to believe that, like... Uh, that men always just made better leaders throughout the history of the world and it's because that most of the leaders in the world have been men that that's like that's the evidence in and of itself um that men are more rational and because of their lack of emotional uh, uh intelligence that they're able to make better decisions on the whole hmm i'm not really sure um there, there really isn't any evidence to suggest that men have been better leaders throughout history um as a matter of fact um there is um there's actually been uh women who have been leaders in over 70 countries in just in the last century um and there are thousands of other points where women were regarded as figures if that were on par if not greater than the chieftain or the leader or whatever it was themselves um i like to say that uh recently there was a a movie that came out um about a race of warrior women um oh my gosh it's actually blanking on me right now um but what was interesting was that it was supposed to be like the aspect of this woman was supposed to be like she was the queen and she was leading the army as a as a point of a queen but it turned out in this particular african culture 
um, this woman and her tribe of people um, were given a status that was actually exonerated more than the chief. She was considered a general and as well as the leader and she solely made her own decisions. She wasn't affected by like she made decisions for the chief a lot of the time. And they this role was in fact a role that was given and passed down as well. Um, and this was a role that was not necessarily affected by leadership for a really long time. Um, and I thought this was interesting. They also um, this a lot of these roles were given uh, to these women because they oftentimes chose not to bear children. <laughs> After that point, when they were decided to serve this role in the military, either way, um, this is one of the many examples that we have. Uh, uh, this is one of the many examples that we have where women have actually have served in roles that have been significantly greater even than uh, the leader in question, and that they have there. And a lot of these times, you can talk about, you can see, in fact, that their role as a leader was just as beneficial, if not more beneficial than a lot of the men that were put in their place either prior prior to or after. Uh, but get this though. Uh, because of the lot of leadership in the, because a lot of the leadership in the world has been men, there actually isn't enough recorded history apparently uh, to even tell the quality of leadership that anyone else would have had. That's wild. You know, because uh, we do know that we have ranted corruption in leadership and that that directly that is directly tied to the constant election of men in leadership roles. That definitely is something we can occur, but we don't literally, we literally have no, not enough recorded history to talk about how other people have done in those roles because we've never elected enough of them to do so. How is that not problematic? How is that not problematic at all? How are we, how are we so dead set on saying that men are just like the best at this role? when we actually have zero evidence to say otherwise <laughs> like we've never tried anything different we've just said this has always worked and i almost guarantee you if we were to try something different we would have something to base it off of because even now in our current society like conservative men especially love to talk about how women just aren't fit to serve in the leadership role because they are too emotional and yet and still we haven't observed or in fact our last couple of presidencies or many other men in prominent roles in Western culture where we have seen them act out way more in a way more emotional fashion than any other women that have been even in those positions because let's just face it, a lot of women have actually learned uh, to that they have to play this stupid game in order to even be where they are. You know, as in the same way that we haven't talked about, like... Uh, you know, I guess you could say it's in the same way that if any person of color understands, like, you have to, all the techniques and methods you had to do and to live in a white world, that you couldn't be the angry black person because that's the first thing that's going to get you thrown in jail. Yeah, it's the same way that women are understand in political settings and in political theaters that they cannot be the hyper-emotional person because that gets them thrown off the scene faster than any guy who's literally up there yelling and screaming and throwing a fit. We already know it. And so this is one of those things that has always been a weird perception because men will still say that women are incapable of leading despite having this solid piece of fact. But go off. But anyways, um, one of the things that we can do to start, uh, oh, start healing from this 
is uh, we got to understand this whole concept about the pillar of support uh, and about what that really means. It is outside of this hunting-gatherer notion about just being the strongest thing there is. Because there are some men that understand this, but they still attempt to pour from an empty cup. Um, and that means that, like, there are a lot of people that, like, when they... Men will do this thing of supporting others by only offering still just aggression and violence. Um, and it, that's actually something that can be pointed out, too. I love this little scene. And so if anybody actually managed to watch She-Hulk... Uh, which, if you did watch it, it was fantastic and very rewarding. I don't care what anybody says. But they point this out, actually, really avidly in the whole scene when there is a support group. And they're trying to get um, Jin to open up. And they're all like, well, this guy sounds like total trash. We should go beat him up. We got, let's go, yeah, let's go take this dude down. Let's go. And, they're, and there's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Is the only thing we have to offer Jin just violence? And it stops every single person in the room. And that, to me, is a very valid point. As a man, oftentimes you will see that the only methods of support that are given will be that. That a man protects another woman by being violent towards another man. And that's it. That we're not really listening to the people that were around. We're not really being caretakers or anything like that. That we're just sitting there offering our violence wherever we go. I'll beat this person up for you. I can be the strongest thing there is, even though I have no idea emotionally what is going on. That's not necessarily being as big of a pillar of support as it may seem. Because what does it feed? Because, I mean, who is it feeding truly? Is it about the person you're supposedly supporting or is it about you? Are you trying to feed your satiation for violence and aggression? Are you trying to feed your whole thing for ego to say that you're the biggest thing around because you protect something significantly softer than you? It's a bit of a difference. I mean, I've seen a lot of men talk about being care caretakers and supportive, but they're the kind of men that walk around with like open carry permits and, you know, they're, they're playing around with their daughters with a very large gun nearby and... It isn't about their daughter. It's about the other men in the room. You know what I mean? Like, that is the kind of thing that always tripped me out. Like, it's about the other men in the room. It never was. These are the kind of men that have, like, even though they have daughters, they create issues because they teach their daughters that, well, men can't be trusted in any capacity. And it's really sad because there's a lot of merit to that. That they can't really be. Not yet. Not for a while. But it doesn't help that it's coming from a person who does not necessarily know which ways those are, are not to be trusted. <laughs> you know? Or that understands that there's actually more that you need to build up inside of your little girl. There's more confidence. There's more world knowledge and things that you need to build up with her about men. More so than you need to just tell her to avoid them while you sit there and flash your gun at every other man that comes through. I mean, especially, like, uh, and even for, like, and it, it's have to understand the kind of uh, message that also sends another boy. Um, for example, I will use myself. I have been in the scenario where I've shown up to somebody's house to show up to have somebody cleaning their gun 
telling me that I can't not to try any funny business and get him back exactly when it was. And I'm just like, sure thing, man. You know, because that's the wild part about it. Because even for me at that time period, I knew it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with with a pissing contest. It really did. It's like from one man to another, I'll show you that I'm the bigger man. But it had nothing to do with really understanding or protecting their daughter from something. Even though the notion of protection is very clear, it is not about that. It was always about like that measuring contest. And I've seen it plenty of other times before. And people will look at that and see that as a caring gesture. I don't. I don't see it as a pillar of support. I see that as aggression. I see that as violence. I see that as not looking at your daughter as something way more precious than that. Than somebody, than something you can only offer aggression and violence. See, to me, like, if you really want to do the protection thing in this case, understand the boy that she's trying to take out. Understand what she likes about them, why she wants to do that. Get to understand this boy from an aspect of like, you know, my daughter really cares about you. And I understand that there's a lot of merit to that. But I need to know if these intentions are matching. And if this is something I can discern from my adult standpoint, you know, to see that we actually have something genuine that's going on here, because that's what we all want to do. We don't want our children to get into relationships that are going to hurt them. Unfortunately, we can't stop that. But if you had the opportunity to get to know somebody, I would say that that would go a lot longer into building a relationship, not only with your daughter, but with the person that your daughter's with, you know, as opposed to constantly just acting like a jerk until someday this person, until this kid someday does something to prove you, uh, to prove you right or wrong. And by proving you wrong is only by getting married. You know what I mean? Like, it just, like, they don't say nothing until it gets married. And then then it turns out, like, you were cool because there were no problems throughout them dating throughout the entirety of it. And then they get married, and then she got problems, and then you don't want to listen to her. Because he passed the aggression test. See, this is... (laughs) I got so many problems with that. I really do. Like, you you can't really protect people by being aggressive all of the time. You can't offer that as your only that can't be your only offer as a man to another woman regardless of what age she is regardless of where where they stand you have to be more than violence you really do but at the end of the day uh the section that i wanted to talk the most about is that men are very very lonely (laughs) toxic masculine behaviors lead to loneliness more often than not under the guise that there's nothing to care for or about. Uh, That this unemotional stance is what ultimately makes one a man, neglecting the greatest superpower that anyone can have, which is vulnerability. And you know, vulnerability, the definition definition of invulnerable is impossible to harm or damage, which is a reality that no human uh, really has. And in the long run, nor should they really have uh less they risk never growing or facing adversity because we kind of do need that um but even more so is that our vulnerability is the closest thing we have to that ability to being invulnerable our emotion our mental and emotional strength 
through vulnerability is our closest thing to being invulnerable. And since a lot of people avoid this state, especially men, um, they avoid it believing that it's weakening them, weakening them, they suppress and avoid what causes that pain. And men love to believe that this pain of loneliness somehow defines them. But it is the wrong pain. It's the wrong pain. It's not the kind of pain that you really need to define you define you at all. You don't have to sit there running around as a lone wolf in the loneliness until some woman that's coming through that seems to ignore all of your problems while supporting you unconditionally while you don't seem to look at anyone else but yourself. Yeah, that's not the way to that's not the way to be. That's not actually the way to grow. Um and this is one of those things that really prevents you from becoming the kind of man that you really are and really need to be. And so, uh, you know, this loneliness aspect and lone wolf, nothing, um, no, it actually kind of makes you a little bit more desperate. It makes you a little bit weaker than you need to be. And I'm not saying weakness in the terms of not as much of a man. I'm just saying as a value in your values as a human being, like you're sitting here with two arms tied behind your back and telling yourself that everything is hard when all you have to do is just take the nuts off. Like you don't. You don't even have to, like, you didn't even have to wrap yourself up to begin with. Like, you can be sad. You can, it, it, it can be okay. Like, you don't have to just be the stoic figure that never feels anything all of the time, ever. That is not what constitutes a real human being. And at the end of the day, let's just be real. It is not what a woman wants at all. An unemotional thing that only responds to aggression and violence and lust. That is not what a woman needs at all. We need somebody to listen. Somebody that's going to be there and is going to actually care about what's going on. Somebody who's going to be there for more than just the sex. And who should men be overall? Well, I actually touched a lot on that in an older episode about being softer, being kinder. uh, Having the ability to be able to look at oneself in intimacy, to be able to talk about and care about other men and be able to hold them in that intimacy without that meaning anything, because that's what we're trying to get to. Like, ultimately, this whole series of episodes that's going to be about is basically about how to get to this point where we can deal with these aspects about ourselves, about the things that we deal with every day, and those not mean anything like they have done, have me, have meant on our social scopes, our political scopes, all of that, because it it shouldn't mean anything like of these sort of things. It shouldn't. The toxic masculine phenomenon is one that is created sort of out of a vacuum. I usually use that a lot. It's not entirely out of a vacuum, but I mean that in the sense that. We are dealing with a crisis in men that has arrived, has been really derived from the accumulation of too much power. And this has corrupted kind of the soul of what manhood or manliness, I believe, truly is. Uh, it has led to it a toxic phenomenon that has bled through all advocates, all facets, and everything of this entire of our entire society uh even down to the point where we have massive roles about who can 
even say or do what less they are less than. And I think that's absolutely silly because we cannot escape ourselves no matter what we do, no matter what we say, and no matter what kind of clothes we wear, what kind of how many people we decide to have sex with or who we decide to have sex with. None of that matters. You can't escape yourself and you can't redefine yourself with any of those things. You can only redefine yourself through self-exploration, through the means of what you have come to understand about your own life throughout your childhood all the way up until now. And even then, that's not going to get you out of the core of yourself. That's only going to bring you to it. So, yeah, like this is only one. Like I said, this is part one of an ongoing thing. So just stay with, stick with me because we're going to talk about like what does it mean afterwards when you have control that when men gain control over their bodies since women don't have control over their bodies then what happens after men and women gain control of their bodies what does it mean to say that we don't need the government anymore after that we'll just stick around we'll definitely jump into that subject matter at a completely uh like different time because it's going to take a lot of diving just as much as this one is Thanks for tuning in. Just please remember to press that like and subscribe button on whatever platform you decided to listen through this to. I really appreciate the time that you've taken. Uh, but I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about um, some an, another project that I actually just started on. I had to revamp a little bit of things. I originally had a Facebook page that was called The Language of the Stars. Um, I've now revamped that as a, another page, a part of my site, um, the auto, autodidactichuman.com. Uh, I revamped it on that page. You can now order things or any kind of reading uh, through that one page. I only have the one service up right now, but that's just because we're trying to figure it out, get some time going. Um, But I really would like to help you uh, build a roadmap to yourself uh, in another way. Uh, More so than just this... Uh, these moments to reflect but another time to actually get a chance to deep dive into yourself and to really figure out exactly what uh, what has been going on in your life what is going on in your life and some things that could potentially be going on in the future Um, and I'm here to try to deliver in a way that makes sense if you can't really get past all of the mystical jargon or anything like that don't worry about it honestly I'm here for you I'm here to get you past it and I'm, I'm honestly I'm just here to like I want, I love it when people get a chance to really get into themselves and to understand like what the universe is trying to tell you. Uh, so yeah, uh, just be free to, feel free to check that out whenever you get a chance. Uh, thank you for listening. You're all wonderful. You're all beautiful. And uh, you know what? Never stop learning, whatever you do. Whatever you do.